Okay, can everybody hear? Yes? Good. If I turn my head this way, can everyone hear? Yes? This way? Yes? Great. Is everyone bored? <laughs> Is anyone bored? <laughs> yes? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Yes, Jill invited us all to be bored at the beginning of the retreat. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so last night, um, Molly um, spoke about the practice in context of baking. And um, I thought I would speak a little bit up this evening about practice in the context of, it starts with B-A. <laughs> as in baking, baseball. <laughs> now you might wonder, what's, what's the link between the practice and, and baseball? So if you think about it, baseball, and playing baseball, what do you do? You go up to a, a base, a thing on the ground, and you hold a bat in your hand, and this ball came hurling towards you. And the idea is to make contact with that, with the ball. Okay, you make contact with the ball. And um, in the case of baseball, and I'll come into the difference later, in the, in the case of baseball, you make contact, the ball goes flying off, and the idea is to run around the bases and come right back to where you started. You starting to see what's common? <laughs> So in the meditation, we're, we're sitting and um, we're walking, we're, we're doing our practice, and something comes flying towards us. <laughs> could be a body sensation, could be a thought, could be a mind state, an idea, a discomfort. Could be almost anything if we're out doing walking meditation outside, could be sound of a bird, could be the uh, sensation of snow falling on us. Um, could be um, a loud noise somewhere. Someone coughs. These things come flying at us. And the commonality here is that in the meditation, as in the baseball, the idea is to make contact. Contact. Contact happens. Contact happens in that moment of whatever the object is, whatever the thing that comes flying towards us is, in the moment that it's felt in the body or heard or smelled or tasted, in that moment there's contact. Okay? Just like in the baseball. The difference is, in baseball, when we make the contact, actually it happens sometimes in the meditation too, the ball goes flying off. Sometimes in the meditation, we don't like what's contacted, and we do whatever we can to throw it away, to push it away. Has anyone noticed that in the practice? Has anyone noticed that happening in daily life, outside of practice? don't like something and it's 
go away. But in the practice, the intention is, we've spoken a lot about intention, the intention is when that contact is made, to know it, to be open to it. Why do we, why do we want to be open to it? Why do we want to be open to what may be terribly uncomfortable and unpleasant? We can all think of why we want to be open to what's pleasant, what we're enjoying. The practice, the practice asks us to be open to, as we've said, however things are, pleasant, unpleasant, or the sometimes boring, neutral. And why? Because we want to understand it. The intention, the intention with the practice is for understanding. And not understanding in the sense of, um, in, the, in, the, in the sense of figuring out a whole story about it. Well, it came from there and it happened like this and, and, it's, and it's, it doesn't feel good because of this. And, and um, oh, no, that was really good. How can I get that? How can I keep that? Not understanding it in that sense, but understanding it in the context of insight. And, and quite a few of you have heard this definition before. My definition of insight, which comes from dictionary, is insight is the intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things without thought. Okay, so key points in there. The intuitive knowing. So it's a, it's a spontaneous knowing that and it's without thought, so it hasn't been thought out. It's just that spontaneous knowing, and it's the knowing of the inner nature of it, how it actually is. And, the, um, and this practice, this meditation, is called vipassana, and the word vipassana means insight. So Vipassana, though, is only part of the practice. It's actually, the, the actual name of it is Samatha Vipassana, and Samatha means calming or steadying. And so the practice is to, is to cultivate calming, to develop calming, and in that, culti within that, cultivating, cultivating conditions and qualities that allow us to know, it's, it's not to cause the insight, the insight is, is here, the insight is here. It's, it's to, to allow us to know the insight, to know that when it shows. And the calming allows it to show. Okay, does that, does that make clear the intention? The intention? Okay, so we have our intention. So the, um, Joseph Goldstein once asked someone the question, are you having Dharma fun? 
<laughs> and the, uh, the Dharma fun is what goes on, um, which in baseball is the going around the bases. It, it what ha it's what happens between here and the insight. Okay, what happens between here and the insight. And that's where the practice is. That's where the meditation is. That's where the, the techniques, the methods, the tools, the, uh, the qualities that we develop through the meditation, with the meditation. And there are certain qualities that, um, that the Buddha the Buddha described as um, factors or qualities for awakening. Awakening to how things actually are. And um, I, know, I know a lot of you know this already, um, but um, I'd like you to think of it as beginning again. Okay, and for those of you who aren't so familiar with it, Think of it as beginning again, okay? And the first of these qualities is mindfulness. So mindfulness becomes the foundation. And, and mindfulness, um, so mindfulness is that, that quality of being present. Being present without, without kind of wavering without trying to push away, or without trying to grab on and hold on to. It's that quality of just being present and being open to the experience of what's happening. And to a large extent, to a very large extent, that's what we are cultivating with the, with, with the, the formal practice. But as probably you have observed, on occasion maybe, mindfulness itself doesn't often seem to get us anywhere. We can be very mindful of bad habits. We can be very, very mindful of the mind just spinning around and around and around with stories. We can be very mindful of the, the pain in the knee or in the back. And so the Buddha, the Buddha brings in a second quality which is, which is critical, which is, is, is really a critical part of the practice. And, and often, I think we don't, um, as teachers, we don't kind of make it clear enough or bring it in early enough in a sense. That second quality is what the, what the Buddha referred to as investigation of states. It's an investigation of the state of things, of the, the nature of things, the quality of things. And um, I'd like to read um, a, a Thai forest monk, Ajahn Chah, who's um, a, great, a great teacher um, in Thailand. And um, Actually, quite a number of the, the most highly regarded Western 
Vipassana teachers now studied with Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Chah calls this investigation of states, Ajahn Chah calls it contemplation. So when, we think of contem when I think of contemplation, I generally think about thinking about things, thinking over things, and trying to, <coughs> trying to remember, trying to figure out. So here's what Ajahn Chah says, um, some of it. Um, he's asked the question, when you teach about the value of contemplation, are you speaking of sitting and thinking over particular themes? And Ajahn Chah replies, that is not necessary when the mind is still. So there's the calming. When the mind is calm, it's not necessary. When tranquility is properly established, the right object of investigation becomes obvious. There's no discrimination into right and wrong, good and bad. You don't sit there thinking, oh, this is like that, and that is like this, etc. That is coarse. Um, meditative contemplation is not merely a matter of thinking. Rather, it's what we call, quote, contemplation in silence. While going about our daily routine, we mindfully consider the real nature of existence through comparisons. This is a coarse kind of inf investigation. We use thinking as a tool, so this is important. It's not to say, don't think. <laughs> we use thinking as a tool, but the knowing that arises from its use, the knowing that arises is above and beyond the process of thinking. It leads to our not being fooled by our thinking anymore. Okay? Not being, that's a lovely phrase. It leads to our not being fooled by our thinking. Okay? We, get, we get fooled by our thinking. Our thinking tells us so many things that we believe. And how many of them are true? Um, trying to understand these things by talking about them, though, won't work. We need to, and this is key, we need to really consider impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and impersonality. Okay, so the, the Buddha identified these as three characteristics of all things. Anything that we can point to, tangible or intangible, alive or dead, <laughs> big or small, any, anything we can point to, the Buddha says, has these qualities. They are impermanent, they change, they have a quality of unsatisfactoriness, which is related to the change. Okay, so if, um, if we really like something and we're holding on to it and it changes, which it will do, then we're unhappy, we're dissatisfied. And, 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 the, and our tendency is to impute that dissatisfaction into the object. The object becomes 
unsatisfactory. When in fact, the object is just being the object. It's just doing its thing. So when we're, when we're sitting in meditation and we're very mindful of the breathing, breathing's coming in, going out, feel the belly is expanding, oh, settling, oh, it feels good. Two breaths, three breaths, oh, there's that pain in the knee again. There's that pain, oh, that is so unsatisfactory. I have to get rid of that pain. Or someone starts coughing and, oh, there's that coughing, it's really disturbing me. That person should get up and go out. <laughs> the disturbance gets put into the person. We were, we were talking about this at, um, at dinner time and, and I recalled um, um, a, friend, a friend of ours who, who I, I've co-taught with a number of times in India and um, she was once complaining to her teacher about the noises and the teacher said, don't disturb the noise. <laughs> it goes both ways. <laughs> it goes both ways. And we disturb the noise by making it the problem. And we do that with so many things. And the problem really just lies within us. So we need to use, um, we need to really consider impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and impersonality, this, this impersonality quality in, in Pali. The Pali word for it is anatta. And it literally means without selfness. So impersonality means that um, it, it, it means that things, in a sense, don't have um, an independent personality. Things don't have a personality. And, and this is a thing, by the way. <clears throat> Things don't have a personality separate from other factors and other qualities and conditions that are affecting that. So anything in, in any given moment of its existence, that existence is dependent on other factors. Okay, so for example, this, this thing, this impersonal thing, looks like a person, feels like a person, <laughs> talks like a person, but the very presence of this person is dependent on and conditioned by the presence of all these other impersonal persons, <laughs> all of you. Okay? So I speak, I'm speaking because you've come to listen. If that's not the case, put up your hands and I'll shut up right now. <laughs> so, um, so, and, 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 this, and this person is also in this moment conditioned by the microphone, the way I speak the way I'm speaking is affected by 
the way I'm sitting here is very much affected by this thing sitting in front of my face. And this thing sitting in front of my face is sitting here because I'm sitting here. So there's that, that in, in that connectedness, in that interdependence, that interconnectedness, there's, there's an impersonality in, in every, everything around, including intangible things like the temperature. You know, I, out in the hallway, I was feeling a bit cool, so I had my sweater zipped up. And I come in here, and it's warmer. I unzip it. The way I am is not separate from all these conditions. And, and so this, this investigation of states, this, this contemplation, in a sense, is staying present with whatever is showing so that we can come to, to know these qualities. Okay, does that, does that help give kind of a context for, for why, why we practice and how we practice? Okay, so the so the, the the mindfulness and the calmness aspect that comes to a large extent with the mindfulness and this investigation of states is 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 looking into this is is this contemplation this investigation of things and then the other 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 qualities that the um, that that the Buddha includes in this list of these, these factors for awakening, factors for awakening. There's the, um, the mindfulness, the investigation, and, and the, the investigation, for me, um, and I often use this word to name it instead of saying investigation, I often use the word interest. Because to, to stay steady with something, there really has to be an interest in it. We have to be taking interest. Okay, so the so what arises when we're mindful and we're and we're really taking interest in something, what comes with that is energy. Okay, and we can see that we can we can see that in the practice and we can see it in our daily lives when we're when we're really interested in something. There's lots of energy, isn't there? If we're not interested in something, the energy kind of goes down. <laughs> Do you notice that? Okay, so, so when we're interested, the, the energy, the energy comes. And, and with that, when we're, when we're giving attention to something, we're really interested in it, and there's lots of energy, what, what generally comes with that is a kind of, of joy, a delight. We enjoy that investigation. We enjoy that, that contact, that connection. We enjoy that just, just being with this. And with that joy, with that joy comes 
the um, the next the next factor is um, is actually calmness. So as that with, with that we become more focused, we can become more steady, and we become more yeah more steady with and more stable with what's happening and what we're doing, what we're engaging with. So the the calmness that we began with, in a sense, becomes much stronger and deeper. And that, in turn, allows us to stay more present, to be more awake. And it brings more joy, too. And as that calmness deepens, it becomes concentration. Okay? So, a um, couple of people have mentioned this to me in meetings that um, their concentration isn't so great and I'm having trouble with it. Um, and one thing to watch for, so in this, if we look at this, this list, this chain of events, a prerequisite for what the Buddha referred to as right concentration, a prerequisite for that is this joy and energy. So concentration that's needed for the, for the practice, the concentration that's needed for awakening, isn't the kind of concentration that comes, and concentration does come, but it's not the kind of concentration that comes when it's just, okay, I'm just going to force my attention, I'm just going to stay with my breathing no matter what. <laughs> oh, I lost it. <laughs> and and the, the force and the energy that goes into that. Wrong concentration. <laughs> and, 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 and again, in our daily lives, I think we can recognize times when we've really forced ourselves, we're really forcing ourselves to, to pay attention to something, to do something, um, to be a certain way. Um, and, and, and how often, how many have noticed this? <laughs> and, and how often do we know, I notice, but how often do, do you notice, how often do we notice that when we're really forcing that kind of controlling concentration, that controlling presence, it just doesn't work. Have you noticed that? When there's a more relaxed, the more relaxed, the more open, the more spacious being present. So that the, the settling happens naturally. It's just a natural, another natural process, like the breathing. It's just a natural process. In that, there's, there's the enjoyment, there's the joy, the delight. And somehow things seem to work out better. And, and, and better meaning the way we're intending. It, it, it allows more for the intention to manifest. And if the intention doesn't manifest, it's not so much of a problem. Have you noticed that? It's just not so much of a problem. And then the, um, 
The, the last factor, and, and another very important one, and a, and a quality that's being very much cultivated in the practice as we, as we pay attention and we, and we develop this, the calmness that allows us to stay steady, as that deepens, the factor that, that comes into play is equanimity. And equanimity is non-reactivity. And it's that non-reactivity that allows us to stay present when something really pleasant arises. We don't get caught up in it and try, oh, this is great, this is wonderful, I've got it now. Oh. And then, oh, I lost it, I lost it, got to get it back. And when something unpleasant shows, it's, ah, uh, it's not, oh, I have to push this way, I have to get rid of it, it's, it's disturbing my meditation. So the equanimity allows us to stay present, and that becomes kind of a, a feedback loop. So the, the greater the equanimity, the greater the, the stillness, the greater the, the concentration, the greater the joy, the, the, the more it facilitates the investigation and the knowing of things as they are. Um, what comes out of this work, going back to Ajahn Chah, what comes out of this work is wisdom. And if it's real wisdom, everything's completed, finished. Even though there may still be thinking, it's empty. You are not affected by it. This is a good, good, um, good description. In, in, in Buddhism, we often throw around this word emptiness. And, um, and emptiness just doesn't mean a total absence of. It's not a voidness, a space, an absence of everything. This, this, this phrase, you are not affected by it. So things are still there, but you're not affected by it. So the stories arise in the mind, and the stories are just stories. You know, some st sometimes stories, and then this is part of the wisdom. Sometimes the stories that come are worth giving some attention to. Sometimes we even need support. We need we need someone to help us understand the stories. But most of the stories don't really need that. Yeah? <clears throat> Especially the stories that are using this unreliable memory to recall things from the past and using this unreliable projection to talk about what's going to happen in the future. Um, but the uh, so the so the wisdom so so this is the wisdom, and the the wisdom the wisdom really is the insight. The insight into how things are. And why? Um, what else does he say? Um, 
Practice is not just a matter of talking about arising and passing away. It's not just about a concept or talk, he says talking about it, but I would say thinking about it as well. Okay, so it's not just noticing arising and passing, arising and passing, arising and passing, and um, and then thinking about it and talking about it and saying, oh yeah, everything arises and passes. I know that. You must see it for yourself. When you are sitting, simply see what is actually happening. Don't follow anything. Contemplation doesn't mean being caught up in thinking. The contemplative thinking of one on the way is not the same as the thinking of the world. Unless you understand properly what is meant by contemplation, the more you think, the more confused you will become. <laughs> okay, so this, this, this factor of investigation, this, this, this quality, it, it brings in this, um, this, this piece of the, de of the definition of insight without thought without thought so it's it's that being present with being steady with being open to allowing and really giving attention with interest so that so that the the insight shows the the contemplation happens Okay, and we and we begin we begin to to know these three characteristics through experience, not through just observing them, but as actual experience. And actual experience means bodily experience. Bodily experience, um, also in the sense that the knowing, the knowing of these characteristics becomes embodied. So that the knowing isn't just another idea, another thought, but it becomes a piece of, <coughs> of this being. It's already a piece, but it, it becomes uncovered, revealed, known. And these, these three characteristics, the Buddha referred to them as gateways to awakening. He gave this list, these factors for awakening. And, and, the, and the factors, these, these factors, when they're present, they, they allow for the knowing of how things actually are. And this knowing, the Buddha referred to as the gateways to liberation. So what, what, what does he mean by liberation? So one of, one of the... Um, one of the definitions of, of liberation is the freedom of, freedom from, freedom with, um, greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, hatred, and delusion. So it's, it's freedom, it's actually not, it's not being free of being rid of these, but it's being free from taking them up in a way that they have 
power that they, they drive our thoughts and our actions and our speech. It's this, it, it goes back to this, um, this, this statement, you are not affected by it. So they may arise, but through the insight, you're not affected by it. There's, um, there's a, a, a number of years ago, I, was, I, I got interested in the, the topic of free will. And I started reading, reading lots of research. That at that time, I, maybe it still is, I've kind of set that aside, but um, there was a lot of research being done into free will. Is there free will or isn't there? Do we have free will or do we not have free will? And, and, and one of the papers that I, that I wrote, and this was, this was the most convincing one to me, um, his, the, the conclusion, he, he did all kinds of studies on people with all kinds of different experiments, the way that um, these people do. And his conclusion was that there is no free will, but there is free won't. <laughs> And it's very interesting because the, um, the studies that he based this on were studies involving ethical situations and mapping brain waves and mapping brain activity when people were presented with difficult ethical situations. And, and what he found was that when the situation was presented and the person was required to make a choice, he could tell from the brain <coughs> waves what choice the person was leaning toward. And what he found was, so, so when the situation presents itself, it's almost like the brain has already decided <coughs> what the response is. And what, what, he, what he found through the studies was that some people were able to turn against what the brainwaves were saying. So in some people, the, the brainwaves were showing that they were going to go this way, and there'd be a pause, and the brainwaves would change, and the person would go the other way. And, and what it was, was, so what he interpreted this is the person was saying, won't. I won't go that way. So his conclusion was, there's, there's no free will because the, the response is already determined before the action. But there is the ability to turn away from that. <clears throat> and and, and, and this, this, it, it's interesting because the, um, in the, the, the texts talk about the, the, um, the precursor for awakening is a turning away. It's a turning away. A turning away from the, the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. So in, 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 in the presence of greed, hatred, and delusion, the tendency for most of us, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that, maybe it's not true for all of you, 
But in my own experience, the tendency is a pull towards. And it takes, in, 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 in not only in difficult situations, actually sometimes more easily in, in simple situations, it really takes um, a won't, a won't power to not give in. And this, and this is this is really important. Um, it's really important for all of us, given what all is going on in this world. And when we look, we see, we can see it's so obvious that so much of the the terrible things that are happening in this world are the consequence of greed, hatred, and delusion. <clears throat> And, and it, it's, it's so important that, that anyone who is interested in cultivating, in developing this practice, in, in, in allowing for the insight, in, 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 I don't like the word, but seeking liberation. I think it's really important for us to to consider this this free will and free won't, and and to to allow more of the free won't into our lives. It's coming back to intention, the, the Buddha the Buddha the Buddha said that intention has three aspects to it: right intention, non-harming, and non-ill will which I mentioned before. And the third, the third, which actually is the first one in his list, is renunciation. And renunciation, this is what this, this turning away from, this turning away is the renunciation. It's renouncing, it's, it's renouncing, it's renouncing the giving in to greed, hatred, and delusion. And this liberation comes about through these gateways. And the liberation is the coming back to where we started. <coughs> so we go, we, it's like we go around and round and round with the practice, just like running around and around the bases, and we get back to right here. In the same place, in the same place, but not believing all the thoughts and being able to turn away from, to turn away from the greed, hatred, and delusion. And each moment when each one of us is able to do that, it affects the whole world. It truly does. So real, real encouragement, real encouragement for that. And in baseball, when the player hits the ball, runs around the bases, get back to home base, there's great celebration. 
everyone, yay, 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 yay. <coughs> and your score goes up on the board and lights flash. And, and, um, and I think back to um, the, the Buddha's first discourse. In the, in the very first discourse that the Buddha gave, he, um, he gives this discourse. And at the end, um, Kandanya, one of, the, um, one of the five who have been listening to the Buddha's discourse, Kandanya gets understanding of impermanence. And he's liberated. And the Buddha recognizes this. And the Buddha shouts out, Kandanya has understood. He celebrates Kandanya's understanding. So when we have these insights, when we have these insights, very important, very important to, to acknowledge, to celebrate, and to honor and respect the insights. And to honor and respect the, the liberation that, that, comes, that, that comes with the insight. And, and I'm convinced that everyone has had some experience of this. So we celebrate. We celebrate the practice. We celebrate insight. We celebrate liberation. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.